Welcome to Hooked. I'm Rachel, your guide through the perplexing and sometimes deadly world of internet catfishing. Why do people catfish, and how many lies can they tell before they get caught? Stick around to find out in this week's episode of Hooked. This is one of the creepiest catfishing stories I've ever come across. It was the inspiration for the horror movie Orphan, and it features manipulative siblings, a fake doctor, and children used as a scapegoat. Strap in, everyone. Clara Morova showed signs of schizophrenia at an early age. Born in 1975 in the Czech Republic, Clara had regular visions of Joan of Arc and believed she was put on Earth to complete a mission from God. Clara's sister, Katerina, too, is believed to have suffered from a mental illness, though Katerina was never given a diagnosis, and some doctors even said it was just because she spent so much time with Clara. Before I go any further, I want to give the disclaimer that there are so many different versions of this story. In some, Katerina takes advantage of her sister, in others, the sisters work together, and in still others, both sisters are brainwashed. I'm going to present the story that I found the most material on. So despite the sisters' mental health struggles, they both were accepted to university where they attended together. While there, Clara met a man many years her senior and became romantically involved with him. Eventually, Clara dropped out of university to raise their two sons, Andre and Jakob. But Clara's schizophrenia remained untreated, and her kid's father eventually left due to her violent outbursts. To be fair, he was also rather violent. It seems like her outbursts were never directed toward her kids, though, because by all accounts, 31-year-old Clara was an excellent mother to her young kids. After her son's father left around 2005, Clara was lonely and needed help looking after her boys, so Katerina invited Clara and the kids to move into her house, where she lived alone. Not long after Clara, Andre, and Jakob moved in, Katerina brought up the possibility of fostering a child. She introduced Clara to Annika, a 13-year-old from an abusive home. Clara enthusiastically agreed to foster her, and Annika moved in. While Annika got acclimated to her new home, Clara's sons spent a few nights every week with their grandparents. Annika had a lot of health issues, which hadn't been tended to by her abusive family. The Morovnas threw themselves into getting her treatment for her hearing and vision loss, as well as her leukemia. Katerina found a doctor that she believed could treat Annika the best, and Clara met him briefly, during which time he showed her his medical passport. It always fell to Katerina to take Annika to the hospital. In fact, Annika's doctor insisted that the chaperone be Katerina. Clara, wanting to be kept in the loop, would often call Annika's hospital room or Katerina's phone, but each time she called, Annika would be sleeping or unconscious. She could only give Katerina and the doctor messages to pass on to her foster daughter. After Annika had been in treatment for a while, Clara started to get texts from the doctor with bad news. Annika's leukemia was getting worse. Clara asked the doctor if there was anything she could do to help Annika, and the doctor told her that it would be good for Annika if Clara gave her long massages, mostly focused on the groin area. Clara complied. During one of Annika's hospital visits, Clara got a text telling her that Annika had been kidnapped from her hospital room. Clara freaked out and rushed to the hospital to meet Katerina, who was beside herself. A few days of frantic worry later, Annika returned unharmed. She told the sister that she hadn't been at the hospital at all the day she disappeared. She'd gone on a vacation to the mountains. Annika sometimes had weird behavior like this. Most 13-year-olds couldn't orchestrate a trip without the knowledge of their family, let alone be unbothered that they might worry when their child seemingly disappeared. But Annika had done both. 
And while usually Annika behaved like a teenager, she would have instances where she behaved like an adult. But Clara chalked this up to the horrors that Annika had been exposed to at too young an age. Around late 2006, Annika started telling Clara and Katerina that 8-year-old Andre and 10-year-old Jakob were being mean to her, hitting her, breaking her things, and taunting her. Clara was surprised to hear this about her sons, but it was normal for siblings to fight, so she told the boys to knock it off. They didn't, though. Annika's doctor told Clara that her sons needed behavioral therapy. He recommended that when the boys were bad, Clara beat them, which by 2006 was definitely not a doctor-approved punishment. He also told her that the boys needed to be punished even for small infractions. When Annika continued to report teasing by her brothers, Clara was told to lock them in a small room overnight. When the punishments became nearly constant, the doctor told Clara that Annika's health was getting better, but the improvement would only continue if Clara kept punishing her kids. In early 2007, after about two years of fostering Annika, the Morovas decided to adopt her. The sisters kept up the punishments of Andre and Jakob during the process, because the doctor warned that they'd never be approved to adopt Annika if she told the court she was bullied by her brothers. Part of Annika's adoption was her getting government papers that confirmed her identity. The boy's behavior, according to Annika, didn't get better after her adoption. Now that Annika was an official part of the family, Clara was determined to stop this behavior. She and Katerina built a big iron cage in their basement and moved the boys into it. No bedding, no clothing, and occasionally no food. They were kept down there for several months, and Annika liked to watch her mothers beat and torture the boys. At one point, as a last resort to correct her son's behavior, Clara agreed to let them be taken to another town, where they spent several days in a cabin in the woods. The sisters and Annika met up with a group of people Annika seemed to know, and for a few days, Jakob and Andre were subjected to everything from being scratched by forks, to burned by cigarettes, to almost drowned. Pieces of their skin, usually from their thighs or backsides, were cut off, and Annika and her friends would eat them. The family returned home, and the boys were back in the basement, when on May 7, 2007, a neighbor discovered something odd. He had a baby monitor that included a screen, and when he looked at it one day, he saw not his own child, but a naked little boy who appeared to be in a dark room. Then he saw a hand reach into the frame and feed him a small bit of food. Turns out, if two different baby monitors are close together, the signals can get crossed and broadcast someone else's video to a monitor. The Morovas had been keeping a baby monitor in the basement to keep an eye on the boys, and now they had been found out. The neighbor didn't know who the boy was, though. He just knew that because monitor signals can't cross over miles, the boys had to be close by. He alerted the police, who went door to door in search of the naked child. When the police reached the Morova house, the sisters were very cooperative as the officers searched their house, until they reached a certain locked door. They asked the sisters to unlock it, and they refused. Eventually, the police broke the door down, and in the basement they found Andre and Jakob, surrounded by vomit and feces, and severely dehydrated. Annika told the police that she too had been abused by her adoptive mothers and needed their help. They sent her to a children's home for the night, and Clara and Katerina were arrested. While the police were very concerned about Annika, they first focused on the boys. In interviews at the station, the boys confirmed their mother and aunt had punished them, but were afraid to say too much and get them in trouble. The boys also told the police that they believed they deserved these punishments. That night, Annika escaped from the children's home and began to construct her next identity. As I'm sure you figured out, Annika wasn't a 15-year-old girl. 
She was a 33-year-old woman, and her real name was Barbara Skrlova. Barbara had a condition called hypopituitarism, which made her appear much younger than she was. And she didn't come from an abusive family, or at least she didn't see it as abusive. Barbara had grown up in a cult that featured cannibalism at its core, and the branch she belonged to was run by her father, Joseph Skrlova. The cult was part of the Grail movement, which had begun in 1940s Germany. Members followed the teachings in the book In the Light of Truth and its author, Oscar Ernst Bernhardt. Bernhardt believed that he had been Moses in a past life and was now a servant of the light. His book allegedly contained a complete picture of creation itself and held all the answers to life. The belief system, much like other cults, encouraged followers to create their own communities away from the rest of society, and the first Grail Movement settlement was built during World War II. The settlement was eventually raided and taken over by the Nazis. Bernhardt was placed in house arrest while his followers fled and the land was used as a Nazi training camp. As Bernhardt's followers made lives elsewhere, they spread the word of the Grail Movement and more communities began to spring up. As often happens when religions are widespread and led by humans, the Grail movement communities and the beliefs within them differed from one settlement to another. In some groups, women were treated like slaves due to passages in the book that stated women were inherently inferior to men. In others, cannibalism was introduced, specifically cannibalism of their own children. This, of course, was the sub-community Joseph Skorlova had lived in, and by the time Barbara was born, he was the leader of his sect of the Grail movement. He convinced those below him that his daughter was some kind of messiah and must be worshipped. Whatever Barbara asked them to do, even if it was violent, they had to do it to prove their devotion. And because Joseph believed his daughter to be so powerful, he decided she needed to go out on a mission of sorts. Using his position of power, Joseph was able to get Barbara identification for any of her personas. This was how Barbara became Annika. Barbara, as herself, met Katerina at the university the sisters went to. I don't believe Barbara was a student there, but most sources say that Katerina was aware of Barbara's true identity and her real age. Later, it would come out that some of the Morova sisters' friends were part of the Grail movement. It could be a coincidence, but perhaps not. Katerina may have been seen as a woman who would work with Barbara to fool Clara, and Clara was seen as vulnerable because of her schizophrenia. About two years after the Morovas were arrested, Barbara was staying with another family in Norway. But her identity was wildly different from Annika. As Annika, Barbara had been thin with longer hair and presented as a girl. But with this new family, Barbara gained about 50 pounds and shaved her head to take on the role of 13-year-old Adam. As Adam, Barbara didn't really keep her head down at school. She would tell her teachers about being sold by a pedophile ring and being sexually abused by adults. Between this and the drawings Adam would do of mortally wounded children, the teachers at Adam's school knew he needed help. Again, Barbara's persona was sent to a children's home while her foster parents were investigated. There are two different versions of how and why Barbara was able to live with these people as Adam. One version is that the adults had no idea of Barbara's true identity and just wanted to help this young boy, who they believed to be a genius. The other version is that the foster parents were part of the Grail movement and they had a real son named Adam who had disappeared. They took Barbara in and had her pretend to be their son so his disappearance wouldn't be noticed. Whatever the police were told by these parents, they knew they needed to talk to Adam and see what he had to say. But Adam had disappeared from the children's home after going out for a walk one day. Barbara was found at a hotel a thousand miles away and confessed that she wasn't the 13-year-old boy. She was sent back to Kurum for a trial. 
When she arrived, she clutched a coloring book and a teddy bear. What is it with these imposters and thinking all teenagers carry around teddy bears? For years as they sat in jail, Carla and Katerina had stood up for the girl they knew as Annika. But once Barbara arrived back in Curum and they found out that she was also accusing them of abuse, they turned on her. Clara, Katerina, and Barbara were all put on trial. Whether or not Clara was manipulated, she still harmed her sons and was sentenced to nine years in prison. Katerina got 10 years for her prior knowledge of Barbara's background as well as the abuse, and Barbara got, get this, five years. But the courts weren't done with Barbara. It was discovered that the Morova and the parents of Adam weren't the only families she had used. Before the Morovas, Barbara had lived with a foster family who, upon doing the paperwork to adopt her, discovered her true identity. Barbara was sent to a psych hospital for several years. So, since Barbara had quite the history of this behavior, she was sentenced in a separate trial to 12 years in prison. However, it seems she only served about three years before she was paroled. Her lawyer said that her mental health was suffering, despite Barbara never getting a diagnosis. In fact, during her trial, she was pronounced mentally sound. As of this writing, Clara and Katerina have also been released from jail. Barbara's whereabouts are unknown. Thanks for checking out Hooked this week. We'll be back next week with a new story. But for right now, you can find me on social media on Twitter at HookedPodcast1, that's the number one at the end, on Instagram at HookedPodcast, and on Facebook at HookedThePodcast. Also, I'd love it if you left me a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really like what I'm doing, head on over to patreon.com slash hookedthepod where you can get access to early episodes and regularly released bonus episodes. Again, thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.